Hello everyone, welcome back to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands, I'm the Head of Content at B2B Marketing, and I'm joined today by Barney O'Kelly, who is the Head of Digital Marketing at Alex Partners. So, Barney, thank you very much for coming. How are you feeling today? I'm good, thanks David. Yeah, I'm excited about the conversation. Fantastic. Well, um, before we dive into sort of the big, heavy questions, um, can you tell us just a little bit about your background in B2B, um, as well as your current role at Alex Partners? Sure. So, I mean, it's quite a long story because I'm getting on a bit, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the cliff notes. So I started my career at BAE Systems, more in kind of Marcom's PR. Spent a bit of time there. Really, really enjoyed that. Got to go to some interesting places and meet some fascinating people. And then around 2012, I decided I needed a change. So ended up at Freshfields Brookhouse Derringer to set up the first digital marketing unit that they'd had there. So that was that was great. Um, got to recruit a fantastic team of people, did some great work, did some things that we learned from, if I'm honest with you. Um, and then I left there, went out on my own for a little while, consulting around kind of strategy and particularly digital. I, digital has always been a feature of my career. Um, and then Alex Partners were a client of mine uh, at the end of 2019. And then obviously 2020, we had the pandemic. They were very, very kind to me, asked me to stay around. And then at the end of that year, offered me a job. Mm. And it's and it's a it's a fantastic firm and and I was looking after marketing in the UK and then the head of digital marketing left and they asked me if I would be interested in picking it up, um, which I've done. Um, and what we're trying to do there is move things forward. Really, I mean, the firm had I think would admit it hadn't invested in digital marketing in the way that it needed to. Ninety-five percent of what we do is digital marketing. So the ability to have agility, options, try different things—that's really where we are now. And again, you know, fantastic team of people split between the US and the UK. We've got some incredible projects on our to-do list, including rebuilding the firm's website, which is long overdue. So it's, it's an exciting time to be there. Um, and you know, it's there's a lot on, but I, th- I think we're having fun. People are still smiling, so I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> at, at gunpoint. At gunpoint. Uh, Rictus grins on Teams calls, <laughs> but nonetheless, I'll take the grins. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's a question in itself, actually. Is um, is a head of digital marketing, is that just the same as a head of marketing these days? Well, that's a big question. And actually, funnily enough, um, one when I, when I first got into digital marketing, it was what, about t- 2009, 2010? And it was really something that, that, that businesses were beginning to take a little bit more seriously. I think up until then, they'd had a website because mm-hmm. that's what you did. Social was a bit scary. Um, you know, the the audience kind of preferences were shifting, um, and I thought, well, look, let's 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 kind of get ahead of things. In in a rare moment of wisdom, I said, let's get ahead of things. Let's learn about this, and and that this this is the direction of travel. The fact that we still have heads of digital marketing, I think, speaks to a broader issue we have in marketing. Mm. If you look at the majority of marketing now, particularly in professional services, which is where I've spent the last. Have a long thirteen years or so. Um, is it, so much of it is digital, and I think a working knowledge of what the principles of digital marketing are is critical. And and I think there's still a job to be done there. If I'm honest with you, so it's it's a it's a big question. I mean, I wouldn't presume to say I'm the head of marketing at all, but I mean, in terms of what we're trying to do, in terms of digitizing how we go to market, how we reach our audiences, and we appeal to senior audiences we're not you know we've got a whole recruitment piece going on to one side but by and large it's the people that run big organizations are the people we want to talk to and and they're online now you know like the the, the advent of the smartphone i think the pandemic 
forced a lot of people to embrace online much more, you know, Teams, Zoom, Google Hangouts, call it what you will. Um, so they have the technology to do their own research, to find out things, and we need to appeal to those audiences. So I don't think we're quite there where it's everything, but it, it's certainly a significant part of what we're trying to do. Yeah, of course, you know, new technologies, new problems. Um, and, and kind of on that note, it's what, what is your big sort of marketing challenge right now? What's the thing you, you're trying to overcome or, or get around? Well, I mean, anyone in professional services will, will tell you that you don't have enough people and you don't have enough money. Yeah. So that's that's a constant. So I don't think that really counts as a right now problem. That's just a problem. I think there's a couple of things. So I think legitimizing marketing is a constant, constant requirement. I, I think people in the types of organizations I've worked in of late, they're oddly skeptical about marketing. I think there's a sort of they, they, they view it as a bit cynical and a bit superficial. And they're typically people of substance and, and great intellect. And, and I and I think that's something that we need to address because we're effectively trying to position them for exactly what they are. And we do need to appeal to people through, you know, emotional levers, positioning, having interesting things to say. Um, typically, people of that ilk think that if they do good work, then more good work will follow. Uh, but there's a bit in the middle yeah. about telling people about the good work. So that's that's one challenge. I think modernization and knowing how to modernize is a big issue, and I don't think that's unique to us. I think there is an abundance of technology out there. You alluded to it earlier. I think people knowing what the, the best bets are, knowing what the no-regret moves are. You know, Budgets are always going to be scrutinized and tight, and you don't want to back a lemon. But I think there's, you know, there's some confidence needed in knowing there is an answer, not necessarily a right answer. And in the world of digital marketing and marketing technology, there's a million answers out there. Every yeah. year that map gets published with all the MarTech solutions out there. It becomes less and less useful as it gets bigger and bigger. It's like, what do I take away from this? There's a lot. Yeah. Right. So I think I think those are two pretty significant challenges. But Alex Partners, and I say this oh, your hand on heart, we're very lucky in that the marketing department at Alex Partners is just full of incredibly talented people. The main challenge is having the capacity and the time to do the best work we possibly can, I think. Yeah, and I think that's a challenge we hear from everyone not just that alex partners every single marketer i ever speak to just needs more resource more people more money, I, i've you know? yet to meet the the marketing director or the cmo who says i've got too many people and way too much money right i mean it just it, that's that's I, mean, I don't know what you'd do if you're in that position other than just be grateful i guess yeah i suppose so and then complain that you've got yeah. too many people <laughs> and too much money well you know skim a bit off the top put it into your uh, into your into your own bank account maybe <laughs> i'm uh, not even going to comment on that one <laughs> um so you mentioned there about uh, legitimizing marketing I think that's really interesting because we hear that all the time that people feel they need to sort of like justify the, the need of marketing to the board. Why do you think that is? is? It just because it's hard to prove the value on something like I don't know whatever it is a, a billboard. Or well, look, or, I mean, so there's a great Rory Sutherlandism of which there are many around. The most effective form of advertising is radio advertising, but it's it's almost impossible to measure. Right? There are some things in marketing that you just do because you know they're the right things to do and you know they're good things to do. We, we live in quite an over-metricated corporate environment, mm -hmm. right? And typically the people looking at those measures come from disciplines where numbers and data are abundant. So CFOs, a lot of CEOs have a financial background. Th th those are the kind of people scrutinizing marketing. We don't always have marketing types scrutinizing what the financial people are up to, but that's, uh, that's again, that's another point that Rory's made. I, I think that it's one of those things that marketing 
marketers like to feel that they're excluded. I think you have to fight for your place at the table. Mm. And I think you have to do that by bringing value. I think you have to bring some degree of insight that's not always data-driven. I think your experience is a legitimate form of insight. And you have to bring some confidence and some boldness to the conversation, right? The, the, The best way of finding out whether something works or not as a marketing tactic is to do it. Otherwise, you can convince yourself a hundred different ways that it's not going to work, and then you don't do do it. And doing nothing doesn't tell you anything. So I think emboldening the organisation, particularly in professional services, is a big part of the mission. Mm. Um, I always say to my, my my colleagues is bring value and bring value or bring fun. Ideally, bring both. You know, particularly in professional services, the types of people we're working with and trying to influence are incredibly busy. You know, if you're a partner, or in Alex Partner's language, a partner and managing director. Your, your to-do list is pretty full and, and you can't get through everything you need to do. So as a result, the things that are discretionary or feel like you're going to not be held to account for doing them, they're going to fall down your to-do list. And we have to understand that. So we have to make it easy. We have to make it frictionless. We have to make it enjoyable. We have to make it rewarding. And if you hit those notes, then you'll get repeat custom time and time again. And then you start to hit on the competitive instincts that so many people of the types we have and Alex partners have so if they see somebody else is doing something that's working for them they want some of that too which takes you right back to the beginning around resource and capacity and all those yeah. kind of things so so success creates a demand problem <clears throat> yeah. but it's a nice problem to have it's interesting because I, th- I think you're absolutely right that you have CFOs and CEOs and whatever it might be and they want to see hard numbers because a lot of the time you're making extremely costly investments and you want to make sure your money's going in the right place but I think sometimes I'm don't think this is unfair to say. I think marketers then feel because they have to show the value of what they're doing, they end up relying on just showing, look how many MQLs I've generated mm. or, or a metric that whilst might look good on paper, doesn't really actually mean anything. Is that something you see as well? Yeah, yeah, a lot. And it's interesting you mentioned MQLs because obviously, you know, you come at it from a B2B perspective. B2B covers a fairly broad landscape and professional services and tech often get lumped in together. Tech marketing by and large, and this is not meant in any way disrespectfully, conforms to a process driven by taking leads through to conversion, largely behind which sits Salesforce. Um, professional services is a more complicated sales process and more driven by relationships, individual touch points. But I think in our quest to justify our existence, we've, we've sought out measures. About, you're absolutely right. I think a lot of them are cosmetic. They don't really answer the so what. I mean, for me right now, um, the only measure that really matters to me is did you get a meeting? Mm. I, I, I say we're in the environment and opportunities business and those opportunities are the meetings. So then you get the, so how did you get the meeting? And then you start to, to uncover the underlying components of an attribution model. Likes on LinkedIn posts, they're all indicative. Like you can work backwards from the meeting and say, right, typically your sales mass is you've got this many views of a web page, which means you'll get this many people signing up for something yeah. or so on and so forth. And you can start to do some some mathematics there. But by and large, the meeting bit is, is critical for me. So I, th- I think we have tried to justify our existence and have probably gone down too many of the wrong paths in doing so. Yeah. Do you think that's the main way marketing should be judged then in sort of setting up those conversations for sales or do you think it should almost be judged at a higher level which is around well how much revenue is it generated or is that just impossible to prove in the first place so don't worry about it i i I think it's a very very big question i think obviously there's the brand building component of marketing which you don't want to ignore Mm. 
hard to measure, takes a long time, but needs to happen. If you get too close to sales, you're just in an ap- activation frenzy and are you necessarily doing the right things? And then equally, does your contribution to that process get recognised when, you know, to the victor, the spoils, uh, you know, at the end of the day? <clears throat> I think you need to have a very, very clear strategy for what you're trying to achieve. Build your measures out of that. And that's how you determine your value. And those will change. But by and large, brand building and not being too far away from a sale is, I think, a pretty sensible place for a marketer to spend their time. I think there are marketing departments out there who have lost sight of the fact that their job is ultimately to help the organization sell stuff. It's just our role in it might be quite a long way away from the sale itself. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. So uh, earlier this year, you are you featured in a report we partnered on with uh, UK marketing agency Storians titled Trendsetters and Trailblazers 2023. What do the most influential professional services marketers have in common? Um, so the report, as I, as I know you know, sought to highlight some of the world's most exciting talent in professional services, of which you are included. So <laughs> congratulations. Um, and understand what really makes those individuals tick. So... Um, for everyone listening, we'll leave a link in the description if you want to read the full report. Um, but Barney, just about professional services uh, in particular, what do you think makes marketing and professional services particularly challenging or particularly unique compared to, say, tech or, or, or any other B2B sector, really? I think it's I think it's complex for a lot of the right reasons and a lot of the wrong reasons. So it largely, I think, requires quite high levels of influencing skills. Um <clears throat> I think that uh, you're, you're dealing with people who I mentioned earlier are sceptical about what this can do for them. Um, I think you are trying to have to persuade people to do things that they don't have the time to do, are different to what they're accustomed to doing. You also aren't really doing the full wealth of marketing. You have very little say over product. You have very little say over price. You have very little say over where you're selling these things. So it's very promotion heavy. I think that's shifting a little bit. But by and large, it's about influencing people. And what I think a lot of marketers in professional services, not forget, that would be harsh, but you're marketing yourself and your results internally constantly. Like I have a, I have an expression, I don't think it's mine, I stole it from somebody, but I can't remember who, but either everything mar- is marketing or nothing is. right. And, and, and businesses like Alex Partners are quite experiential in nature. You know, every, every touch point, if you go back to the old school principles of moments of truth, like the Scandinavian air service example, every touch point we have with a client is a marketing activity as much as it is a transaction or an invoice or what have you. So we need to think of it in those terms. And then for marketers, we need to think about our roles in the same way internally. We need to be marketing what we do with the same sense of excitement and buzz to our own people to get them to get on board with it. And that, that I think, is something that we can do all do a better job of. <clears throat> so is that something you actively try and do i mean you know do you speak to your i'm guessing your consultants in alex partners or whoever it might be about sort of embodying the brand of alex partners when they're on the job or how do you do that i i, I think if i were to t- put it in those terms i'd be asked to leave the room pretty sharpish. <laughs> what we do talk about an awful lot and increasingly and it's a big platform for us as a digital marketing team is personal brand and it's and Alex Partners is filled with incredible people who are also by and large incredibly humble about the things that they do, and they do do extraordinary things. Um, our job is to try and tap into that, find ways in which they're comfortable promoting it, um, make them comfortable with talking about themselves in promotional or semi-promotional language, and then thinking about how that gives them a platform, mm. how that gives them a platform to 
demonstrate thought leadership. Not a term I love, but I can't think of a better one right now. Um, the kind of places they go, the kind of work they want to do. You know, if I'm if I'm really having a marketing moment, I'll say, you know, marketing is your chance to paint a version of the future as you'd like it to be, right? So the kind of work you want to be doing, the kind of work that you think will be most valuable to the organization, most valuable to your growth, you can start to create the foundations for that through your marketing. Um, I don't really talk to them about embodying the brand because Alex Partners in particular does a pretty solid job of ensuring that the people within the organization mm. kind of do that anyway. You know, that there is a there is a very thorough assessment on the way in. Uh, we are very, very committed to our culture and values in a way that I find refreshingly um, authentic. Um, so that that helps because those kind of touch points are there to guide people about the way we do things around here. I think it's getting them to think about their credentials, their abilities and their track record and what they're thinking as legitimate ways to build their market presence. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting, um, really interesting viewpoint on it. Talking about professional services more generally, what do you think the, sort of the future of marketing in that space looks like? Is there anything you're kind of on the lookout for the next few years? Maybe it's AI, maybe it's something a bit more strategic than that. Um, yeah. So it's a, very, it's a good question. So AI, like so many things, is a bit of a, a here and now distraction. Like I think it's it's been here for a long time. It's going to be here for a long time. But it's not it's not the future of marketing. It's part of the future of marketing. And I think there is there there are many things it can do for us that are very useful. There are many things it can do that are actually quite distracting, um, and there are many things that it's not great at right now. Um, I think the future of marketing and professional services it is largely going to be characterised by those people who can deliver a very clear growth strategy for the organisation or play a very strong supporting role in doing that and making a case and demonstrating that doing different things in different ways are going to contribute to the growth of the organisation. And, and I think AI, interestingly, is a bit of an inflection point on that because there's a clamour for AI can replace everything. Mm. I think having a very clear plan and a very clear strategy and showing how these things fit within a larger endeavour is really, really important. So we need to own the marketing strategy. The organisation shouldn't own the marketing strategy. We should own it and pull the organisation along with us and influence them and persuade them and... And all of the things that we should be able to do. If we're waiting for them to tell us how to do it, then I don't think we're doing the right thing. Mm. On the point of AI, is it something you're kind of fiddling around with or are you just kind of reading about it at the moment? Where are you at <coughs> in your sort of AI journey? Um, so we, we, we look at it a lot. We play around with it. I think it's, its potential for us is highly tactical um, and it's about efficiencies in areas where we need scale. I'm a great believer in, in you know, the kind of marketing that we need to do as a firm is very people-oriented. Mm. And AI doesn't do the people bit very well. It, uh, the artificial really becomes comes to the fore when you're trying to be people-y with AI. I, and I also want authentic communications. And I talk a lot about emotion in marketing and professional services. And, and I don't think AI is great at that. Certainly not in a genuine way. And I also worry about, you know mass equivocation on a grand scale it, i can see why it would work for tech marketing because effectively you're going for eyeballs and you want to get those mqls and you know here's a white paper we've generated using chat gpt it doesn't tell you anything you don't know but you might want to read it anyway and by the way now we've got your email address and you're going to get 36 calls on the back of it right that, that's a model for us i think i want genuine opinion i want genuine emotion i want genuine character i don't think ai does that for us 
However, when you have a piece that does contain those things and you want to proliferate it over social, then AI can really help you break the back of producing the assets you need at scale. Yeah. So we're looking at it in those ways. It's bloody brilliant for transcription as well. Yeah. In a, <laughs> in a way that is really, really helpful. I mean, you know, it will do it in a matter of minutes rather than having some poor sod having to sit there and type it out. So um, it certainly has its uses. Uh, I, I'm, I'm an enthusiastic skeptic. I don't think it's going to change the world that people are saying it's going to, you know, people are saying it's going to change the world in, in, in marketing in the way that it is. Um, I think it will fit nicely into what we're all largely trying to do. I tend to agree. I think it's, we're at, we're at that point where you're at, sorry, I'll start, start that again. We're at that point we were at a year or two ago with the metaverse where everyone's talking about it. And then it will kind of, not die like the metaverse arguably has, but it'll kind of sort of revert to where, where it should be. Well, the, I mean, yeah, yeah, the metaverse is an interesting example. And, and, and I've, I've said this before, like marketing as a profession is constantly on the lookout for the next thing to make it extinct. Mm. <laughs> um, the metaverse is alive and well. If you play Fortnite, if you play Roblox, if even if you play GTA 5 online, these are metaverses of one form or mm. another. You can transact in them, you can engage with real people, you can move around a virtual world. The, the corporate manifestation of that just all feels a bit awkward and unnecessary. Mm. Um, I think AI is a, a bit different. I think the, the, the AI piece is interesting because it's legitimizing a technology that's been around for a long time. So I mentioned earlier that Things like the pandemic forced executives online. Um, the iPhone, the iPad, latterly, that put technology in the hands of people who were largely quite mobile, who kind of had a computer on their desk for performative reasons, but didn't really know how to turn it on. So all of that's good. And what it's done is started to prompt a question around what does AI mean for our business? Which for people who work in AI, and we've got quite a few of them, Alex partners, and you know they've been, <laughs> they've been in AI before it, since before it was cool. What it starts to do is broaden out the conversation. To make this work, you need the following things in place. Mm -hmm. Right. The, the next big thing <clears throat> is largely a result of lots of other things happening and coming together. Right. So you need those foundations. So if you really want a large language model to work for you, or if you want AI to work for you at a corporate level commercially, you need to have a really good data strategy. And if you don't have a really good data strategy, then you're really not going to have the foundations in place. So this, the same applies... Um, for marketing. And I think AI will, will be a bit more of a constant. I think it's become more legitimate. It's encouraging us to ask a lot of sensible questions of what we do. But something else will come along. Yeah. And then we'll get enthusiastic about that. And these hype cycles seem to be coming faster and faster and faster. But this one, I think, is here to stay. The metaverse has found its place in the world. How that expands, I don't know. But then last year, it was Web 3.0 and NFTs. Who knows? I think you're right, though. We are always looking for the next thing to make it extinct, it seems. It does feel like that. I, I was asked the other day, um, <laughs> what kind of talent are you looking for in the world of AI? And, and the answer is the same as it's been for about the past 10 years. Really good marketing people. Hmm. You know, people who can get under the skin of the business, have a sensible, thoughtful conversation with an intellectually exacting counterpart and deliver something that's going to make something happen. And that something that happens might be very, very small, but really significant. Or it might be lots of very small things that's, that's really, really significant. But but that's what you're looking for. Somebody who can create a plan, understand the business, market the organisation and the individuals in it. Whether they can do that with AI or not, I really don't care. There's a question around that, though, because it, it, one, one of the big challenges we keep hearing from agencies and from uh, client side as well is just this lack of good people out there. Um I, yes, plenty of good people in the world, obviously, but for whatever reason, it seems to be a really big challenge trying to find 
seems to be at that sort of marketing manager level. It doesn't seem to be an issue, you know, getting sort of new good graduates in. That's it's always a, an abundance of those. And it doesn't seem to be at that sort of higher level either, that sort of C-suite level. It just seems to be in that sort of middle bracket. People are really struggling to find good people. I'm not suggesting that's a problem you've had at Alex Partners. I mean, you've already mentioned that you've got a really good team there. But is that something you've also kind of picked up on? Have you noticed that? I, I think I have, but I I think part, part of the reason might be is you're looking for something that doesn't exist. Mm. I mean, I, I would say to anybody who's struggling to find a marketer at that level, look at the job description. Genuinely, if you look at some of the job descriptions out there for mid-level marketers, they're looking for unicorns. Like the, 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 the breadth of ability that they're looking for these people to have is vast mm -hmm. you want ev you want a strategist on a monday uh, and somebody who can write good social copy on a tuesday and then they must know how to use photoshop and they must be convert you know the, there are still specialist skill sets in marketing going back to your question about digital marketing oftentimes it comes down to resource constraint so you're trying to pack as much as you can into a single hire you're not really setting people up to succeed, so it doesn't surprise me why people get disappointed with that. I think a very clear role, recognising what's realistically available on the market. This is where things like AI can come in, right? Like, you know, as tools to surround that person with. But I think that's the problem. I think actually that they need to hire three people and they're looking to hire one person who embodies the skill set that all three of those people should have. Yeah. That, that's, my, that's my concern. I think you're spot on. Uh, I, I've noticed the same in content. You know, there's a... a increasing sort of list of jobs that a content person is supposed to be able to do but like you say that narrows the pool more and more and more it just makes it really hard to find those people so back to the job ad if you were kind of really sort of zeroing it in what would you be focusing on if you're looking for a really good marketing manager what bits can you think do you know what they can learn that later or we can get them on a training course so I'm 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 possibly the wrong person to ask I'm I'm a great um believer in filling in from the bottom, mm. right, which, which, which sounds disparaging, but enthusiastic marketer required apply within is, is a good thing. Typically, my two golden rules for hiring, I know they've stood me pretty, pretty, pretty well, uh, and where I haven't followed them, I've learned valuable lessons. Resourcefulness, team fit. Mm. Can somebody figure out how to solve a problem, and are they going to fit into the team? A lot of other skills, even at manager level, are teachable skills. In professional services, there's an additional kicker, which is organisational fit, because professional services firms each have their own institutional personality. And you could be the greatest marketer in the world in organisation A and an absolute disaster in organisation B. And, and they could almost be the, the same organisation yeah, at face yeah. value. So I, I think... There's that being really clear about what the roles required, not having a set of responsibilities that are so broad as to be incoherent. Do they fit in with the team? Are they resourceful? Resourcefulness suggests an, a, an aptitude or an enthusiasm for learning as well. So most things can be taught or, or, or learned. But personality traits are harder to engineer into people, I think. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with everything you've just I mean, said there. And, if you, and put on that thread a little bit longer. I mean, if you think about the standard hiring process, it's deeply flawed. You know, so? you, well, you get C, you get a CV, mm. which in some cases can be a work of outright fiction. In other cases, <laughs> can be massively underwhelming. You've seen mine, then. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen mine, um, and then um, then you interview them, and then some other people interview them, and then it's just really, do we like them or not? Is what it comes down to, because you can't really effectively test for their aptitude. You know, you can have them do a writing test, 
find they're a good writer? Does that make them a good content person? I'm asking you. Content is bigger than writing. I mean, content is now the broadest term in the human language. It's, it's funny. I think writing is becoming something I'm doing less and less of. Mm. So I, I agree. I think it's the more important thing is that ability to problem solve. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think writing is a good proxy for your ability to articulate things in a relatively clear way. But then equally, somebody who's a great writer might be an appalling verbal communicator. And 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 so I mean, look, we could we could go on about this for ages. I, I think being really clear on what the role requires, and then building out from there. Um, and that's why I like looking after a digital marketing team. Is their future will be as general marketers. It's just their foundations will be in digital marketing. So they'll be conversant with the tools and the processes and and what good practice looks like in digital marketing, which should make them better general marketers. Yeah. But resourcefulness and team fit have stood me in pretty good standing. Yeah. I mean, my last hire is a is somebody I used to work with, and I went out to find that individual because they're so incredibly good at what they do. Yeah. Hi, Chris. <laughs> right. Well, let's get back onto the marketing itself because, like you said, we could talk about this all day. So one thing uh, I know you're sort of really keen to discuss is of upping the amount of mo- emotion, sorry, that we put into our marketing efforts. So what do you mean by emotion? Exactly, that's the first question. So B2B marketing and professional services marketing has a long and somewhat unsuccessful track record of drawing on the rational. We've got this many people. We've got this many offices. Yeah. It's like, great. Good for you. you. You've got that many people. You've got that many offices. That doesn't necessarily... I mean, it might be you're around the corner, so that's convenient. Yeah. Um, but really what it comes down to, and, and, and if I think of both Freshfields and Alex partners equally, we're instructed by clients who are in a situation. Sometimes it's a situation that they've created themselves and they want to get to the solution as quickly as possible and, and enjoy the outcomes. In other cases, it's a situation that's been forced upon them. We've seen that happen in spades with the amount of disruption going on in the world. You know, Lots of senior leaders are finding themselves in situations that are unfamiliar, quite scary, mm-hmm. stressful. You know, think about the words I'm using in all of these. Unsettling. They're worried about their futures. They're worried about their jobs. They're worried about their livelihoods. They're worried about their organizations. They're worried about their people. Everything they're experiencing that's driving them to find somebody like us to help them is emotional in nature. So we need to come back at them with some emotional aspects to what we're saying. What are they buying from us? Are they buying a restructuring? Well, yes, But what they're actually buying is our knowledge, our wisdom, our experience. They're buying the person who walks into their room and goes, this is a difficult situation. I've seen a few of these before. This is what's going to happen. So they're buying some certainty. They're buying some reassurance. They're buying an antidote for their anxiety and their stress. And we forget that. We also, in B2B marketing, the whole construct is wrong because it removes human beings from the whole conversation. B2B marketing and selling in a b2b construct and selling in a professional services construct involves an awful lot of people so not only is there the emotion of the situation there's the dynamics between those people as well you know if you look at who's trying to you know who's trying to instruct you who has another favorite in mind what what you're asking them to do you're looking for their support that it's a very very complicated mixture of human emotions and dynamics and we don't typically address those. So my view on that is we're, we're not selling trust. That sounds really, really cynical. But you want to know that the person who's going to walk into the room to help you is the best person possible to help you. Yeah. And you also want to trust them and you want to like them. Mm. 
you're going to be spending a lot of time with this person or these people or their team. So creating those human connections based around reassurance, removing stress, being likable, being being a decent human being are really, really powerful. Yeah. And the more we see of that and the organisation that really cracks it, and I really hope it's us, um, I think we'll, we'll see success. Yeah. I guess it's about empathy as much as anything. You might as well have Alex partners, we get it on the website. That's mm. kind of the message you're trying to convey, right? Yeah, and, and you know, when, when we have had feedback from clients in situations that have been very, very difficult, you know, and, and, and some of the work that we do is kind of existential for clients, right? Um, but I've seen emails from people saying, this was one of the worst experiences of my professional life. I'm so pleased it was you that was there to take us through it. Like, empathy is critical. And it's one of those words that's in danger of becoming a little bit meaningless. It gets used an awful lot, a bit like authenticity yeah, and, and yeah, so on. But I genuinely think an appreciation for the emotional situation of the people on the other side of the table and knowing how to address that, mollify it, and appeal to it, if you're being slightly cynical, is a really, really important part of the professional services marketing toolkit. And, and I think um, the rational stuff, we're very clever and we have lots of offices and loads of people. So what? Everybody can say that. It's almost like a hygiene factor. More than I, I, I think it's an irrelevance, if I'm honest with you. I mean, I think I've seen five of these before, but and I know that how this is going to go is far more compelling than we've got an office in Frankfurt, right? So that's just me, but I think it's easier to be rational than it is to be emotional. And I'm pleased to see that, I mean, there's lots of discussion about it on things like LinkedIn, about people being authentic and are they being authentic and this kind of stuff. Just being yourself is a pretty good place to start in most cases. Yeah. So I, I, I am a, I'm a huge advocate for it. Um, I wouldn't say I'm 100% successful with it. You're often asking people to move out of their comfort zones. Again, I'm a marketer in an organisation that's not full of marketers. I'm the odd one out. And an appreciation of that has been an important lesson I've had to learn. The things that seem very obvious and easy to me because of my personality are not obvious and easy to a lot of the people I work with. So I need to help them get there, as do my colleagues, right? And, and, and we can, and we've got evidence of doing that, but it's, it's not an overnight thing. Well, Barney, I think that is a perfect place to leave it. So lovely. Thank you very much, and uh, hopefully see you again soon. Thanks, David. Cheers.